This is the Real Digital Transformation podcast series, empowering technology and business professionals to succeed with digital transformation. Now, here's your host, best-selling author Thomas Earl. Hi, this is Thomas Earl, and welcome to another edition of the Real Digital Transformation podcast series. Today, I have with me Orakwe John, an AI strategist and digital transformation lead who has recently published an AI strategy guide for small and mid-sized businesses. Welcome, Orakwe. Uh, thank you very much, Thomas. It's a pleasure to be here. So please tell us how this guide came to be, uh, what motivated you to put it together, and then we'll get into some of the details. <laughs> Okay, so um, I believe that we're at a very important moment, you know, in human history. And if you look at the last uh, nine months of developments in the AI space, you'll notice that um, there's been a lot of interesting developments. Um, the first thing you notice is the rise of high quality, affordable and you know, really fast AI models. They're typically called large language models or foundation models. And examples of this include um, Stability AI's Stable Diffusion 1 and 2. And of course, OpenAI's GPT-3. And more recently, GPT 3.5, which powers the now world famous um, chat um, GPT. So these models, what you notice um, about them is that, you know, they are high quality, they are very affordable, but um, they're also able to produce um, content output, text, images, video, code, um, 3D models that are, um, you know, not copyrighted and are not plagiarized, right? So. Um, the cost, what, what, what we should notice from the last nine months of development in the AI space is that the cost to generate, say, images from uh, these models has dropped by about a hundred times. Okay. And also you notice that the cost to um, generate output from these models for web and mobile platforms has dropped by about you know, 10 times. So what we've seen is a Cambrian explosion of AI tools. So you have an AI tool for, you know, all solving all kinds of problems. So, um, but the implication of all of this for, for businesses is that, you know, the way business is done has changed forever, so much so that um, PwC has even estimated that by 2030, the um, value that AI will contribute to the global economy is about $15.7 um, trillion. But in this year, 2023, where we are, um, the, the people at Gartner have estimated that this is the year of hyper automation, where human plus AI collaboration is the um, new norm. Right. And it's it's not really far-fetched because if you look at how successful um, chat uh, GPT has been, it's used by a lot of people in different professions to do all kinds of um, amazing things. So it's in light of this new um, reality of human plus AI that I've published this guide. And the goal is to help as many you know businesses as possible um, learn how to not just use AI, but use AI strategically. So they're not using it because you know it's trendy. They're using it because you know they have business problems that they can solve with this um, um, technology. So I just took you know six steps. So the first step being that they identify business um, problems or challenges that they can solve with AI, and then they go into assess you know their capabilities and the resources that they have before. Um, you Let know, me ask you, Araki, about that AI step. Tools. Um, that first step, yeah. before we get too far into the, um, the framework of the strategy, that first step, uh, yeah. identify business opportunities using this new generation of more accessible and affordable AI models and tools. Um, could you yeah. give us uh, one or two examples specifically 
for the target demographic that your strategy guide is for, which is not the big corporations, but the small and mid-sized businesses. How, give us a, a scenario. How have you seen a small or mid-sized business apply this new um, commoditized uh, generation of AI products successfully? Like a scenario. Okay, good. So uh, one, um, one tool that I know has really made a difference for the people I work with is a user story um, generator. So um, for agile teams, pro project managers and product managers, before now, they would spend days, let's say three to five days, writing user stories for, you know, um, for a, a given project. But with um, a generative tool, a generative AI tool, user story, dot ai or user story generator they're able to you know in 30 minutes write out all the user stories for um, any given product that they are working on another example that i would you know i would i would talk about is ellie ellie is an email assistant which uh once you get an email and this is something that can you know spread across an entire um small and medium scale business so when people get emails ellie is able to read the emails and compose the resp responses so i mean people can literally take out 90% of the time they would spend composing emails using um, you know, some of these tools. Then another one that let, I... Let me also... ask you, Rakwi, sorry, let me ask you about that particular scenario. So okay. the AI can create a draft response of yes. an email we receive for us. So if that email exchange already had a history, so if we had been exchanging emails with somebody um, two or three times as part of a ongoing conversation does the ai then study that history does it study prior emails we had with that recipient in order to put together the most relevant and accurate draft to the next message is that how the ai learns from our past communication so um there are different options here really so there's ellie ellie um, is not as advanced as you know, some other options so if you are using superhuman.ai, superhuman is um, another email provider. It's AI um, native. So, I mean, everything is built with AI from the ground up. So if it's superhuman you're using for, you know, this sort of, uh, for business um, email um, correspondence, then surely it's able to go through every correspondence you had till date, right? So that's when you import an email, let's say from um, Google, from your Google um, workspace. So you import all your emails, it's able to read all of the correspondence so far, and then, you know, you know um, craft, email responses, um, appropriate email responses or drafts, which you can review before sending to whoever you need to send um, you know, this email to. So yes, it depends on which option you're actually working with. Okay, now, interesting. So um, let's talk about step two of your strategy guide, which I'm reading here as the need for a smaller mid-sized business to assess their current capabilities and resources and is that next step um, a preparatory step for adopting AI? What is the purpose of assessing what we already have um, as part of bringing in new AI technology? Okay, so um, assessing capabilities is very important because, say, if the team has, um, if let's say the problem, the business opportunity or problem that has been identified is something that cannot be solved by any existing AI tools. I mean, there are hundreds of them now, but there's every there's that possibility that you know this problem we have cannot be solved you know, with um, any of the AI tools in the market. So assessing capabilities would mean that um, we'll, we'll check and see if we're even AI ready. 
that's if we need to build a custom AI model, right? Um, surely, if the problem we have cannot be solved with any of the existing tools, say if it's a co contact center, for instance, yeah, the contact center will mean that we need to um, combine several models. Maybe we need Google Text to Speech, we need um, OpenAI's GPT 3.5, and maybe Hume AI that they have a model which is able to um, understand emotions in text. So that's something that is custom. Assessing our capabilities would mean, okay, we'll need to check if we have um, sufficient data, like customer um, contacts, customer contact center correspondence, which we can use to fine tune um, the existing models in the market. Because I mean, we'll buy, we'll have access to these models, but we need to fine tune them using our own um, customer data, right? So that's just checking to make sure that we have the right data, the right quality and quantity of data to fine tune existing uh, models in the market. And of course, to check if we have the um, you know, financial resources to follow through the project from start to finish. That's what right. that step uh, means, yes. Because if we don't have the right data in-house, then as yeah. part of the step, we would have to perhaps acquire the data we need for whatever goals we have in mind for our AI systems, whatever intelligence we want them to produce. Perhaps we have to collect more data from uh, social media or from market research or, or purchase more data from third-party sources so that we have sufficient input in order to train our, our models correctly. Is that correct? That's, that's, that's exactly what I mean, yes. That's, that's exactly what okay. I mean. Super. The, the next step in your guide is to research and explore AI technologies that are relevant to what you want to do. And, and you list here um, some categories of AI technologies that are uh, particularly relevant to small and medium-sized businesses. You list natural language processing, oh, yes. computer vision, complex analysis. Uh, I think that's really important for organizations that, that, you know, that, that are not huge corporations, but that want to understand whether it's worthwhile or, or to justify bringing in AI technology. How will it enhance their business operations? How will it make them more competitive? So these three categories that you highlight, natural language processing, computer vision, and complex analysis, um, could you talk a bit more about each as you've seen it be relevant to small or medium-sized businesses in general? Okay, so for natural language processing, so the email assistants, um, I gave example of you know uh, the one I mentioned at the beginning. These are all NLP um, applications. So um, even the the chat GPT thing that you know it's everywhere. That's natural language uh, processing at you know at its finest, right? So that's something that is clear for everyone to see. The for, for machine vision, machine vision is a lot more um, is a lot more um, you know technical. And it's important to state, I mean, we're recording this on um, January um, January 16th. So last week, YOLO, um, that's YOLI Look Once uh, version 8. That's the model used to train uh, computer vision models. The new, um, the new model was released. And what that means for teams now is that to build machine vision solutions is a lot cheaper. I mean, and it's a lot faster. You can build a lot more um, models that are a lot more accurate and a lot more efficient at you know, doing the job. So if a business, a small and medium scale business needed to build a solution, say um, a supermarket, a large supermarket chain wants to build a solution that allows people to check out using, um, you know, just their smartphone. It's really possible. 
So using uh, the model I mentioned and a couple of other integrations, um, YOLO V8, they can you know build out a model, right? A model that customers can use to scan different products. Now that this is if this um, supermarket chain is not interested in maybe investing in a, in an Amazon Go or some other you know really um, expensive enter enterprise machine vision application. So they can use um, YOLO V8, a model to find and with their own data to build something that works for um, just for them. Then um, the third option that's the um, complex analysis. So, um, so I've seen I've seen um, application I've seen tools right. Uh, well, they may not really have to build the custom models, but they are tools that allow um, they allow um, small and medium scale businesses to uh, model to build their own um, models. And these are no code, low code tools. I, I mean, I can't really recall any of them now, but with their own data, they can perform complex analysis on these um, low code, no code options. And if you check resource three within the strategy guide, you would find um, a link that just you know points to some of these um, tools that you know, people can use to build their own um, custom models and to, um, to perform complex um, analysis. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the complex analysis um, is more to support decision-making. Exactly. In, in terms of providing data intelligence for decision-makers to better help navigate and, and steer the business direction of, of the company, whereas the other two categories you identified seem to be more functional, seem to be um, features we can use to enhance our automation solutions, interact better with customers, be more responsive. Uh, would, would you agree with that? Yeah, sure, sure. Certainly. That's the, that's the um, you know, summary explanation of you know, these um, you know, solutions, yes. Okay. Um, the, in your strategy guide, you highlight Two, uh, two products, two platforms um, that are under the open a, 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 uh, sorry, open AI uh, framework. One is uh, GPT and the other is Whisper. Um, could you tell us a bit about each and how they compare? Okay, so um, GPT does generative pre-trained transformer. So there's GPT-3 and there's GPT-3.5. Um, so, I mean, Chat GPT is based on GPT-3.5. So, um, GPT-3, 3.5, those are text um, text models. Whisper is a speech-to-text, text-to-speech model. So for instance, the um, contact center, which I spoke about earlier, if we were to, let's say, work on a project for a contact center, we're trying to automate a contact center, we would use uh, Whisper to convert speech to text. Then we would use uh, GPT to um, perform operations, let's say, um, with GPT-3 or 3.5, to now process the text, right, and get a response. Let's say we train the database that is able to um, answer the customer's question. So we take out the response from, you know, from GPT-3, feed it back to um, a speech, a text-to-speech engine. So I'm I'm not certain that uh, Whisper is able to perform um, text-to-speech. I know for sure that it does um, speech-to-text, right. So if we're if we're looking to do um, you know, text-to-speech, we'll have to rely on Google's um, speech engine. Right, but Whisper um, is a speech-to-text model. Um, GPT-3, 3.5, they are text-only models. Okay. So yeah. would those two um, tools fall under the natural language processing category, or would you use them for other types of AI capabilities? So um, 
So I mean, they're all natural language processing, but um, GPT-3, GPT-3.5 is more natural language processing. Then Whisper, I would say, is natural language understanding. So there's a, another, um, there's another um, category for which um, Whisper fits more into. So it's natural language understanding. You speak English to the model, it's able to pick out the sound. And it's also able to understand you know, Chinese and a couple of other foreign languages, yeah. So there's natural language okay. understanding and the natural language uh, processing. Super. Yeah. Awesome. So the, the next step in your guide is to develop a roadmap. So that's part of most strategies for whatever type of technology you might be adopting or whatever type of transformation an organization may be undergoing. They need a roadmap to understand the direction they're going, the target state they're trying to achieve or build, and then all of the milestones along the way. So specifically for custom AI deployments, um, what is distinct uh, in this type of roadmap? What are the, aside from the general things we look for in terms of scheduling and, and resources and budget and you know contingency, um, what are some of the distinct characteristics of an AI adoption roadmap? And perhaps also to make it even more distinct, um, what are some of the characteristics of a roadmap like that for small and mid-sized businesses? Okay, so um, I mean AI projects. I mean they're very different from they're very different from you know regular IT projects. So what I would say, I mean I think it applies across board, both you know in a big business and for small and medium-sized businesses. Is um, I mean the, as the, the the executives or you know the the decision makers have to understand that. A lot of times, um, models do not exactly like. We, say we 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 set out to achieve this in nine months. There's every possibility that you know timelines extend um, beyond what we uh, projected. And then, of course, the roadmap would also depend on if we have the right quality, let's say the right quality of data, right? If we have the right, the, the right quality of data, and we have the technical and business um, components within the business. So when I say business component, we need somebody within the business um, who is a decision maker that, that will champion and push this project from start to finish, right? Um, and that's important because there will be delays, lots of delays, especially when you're building uh, models. Then the technical component, there has to be the right mix of you know data scientists, um, DevOps engineers, and machine learning operations personnel, and the, just the right mix so that and the, the project moves from start to finish without too much friction. There will definitely be friction, but it's important that there's a business driver, that's someone within the business who champions, you know, this project from, from start to finish. And then the right uh, mix of technical talent also has to be um, available. So there's um, another resource within the guide, which um, explains to people how to assess the AI readiness of, of their, of their business. So, if they do not meet the requirement, if they're not AI ready, then there's every chance that you know the project fails. But if they are AI ready and they have the right combination of the business and the technical um, components, then um, mm -hmm. they are sure to you know achieve success. Yeah. You you mentioned one of the first things you said about the roadmap was that it could take longer yeah. than expected. The project itself. Um, so for any IT project, I guess that's. That's something that can happen, but I'm curious for an AI technology adoption project, okay. uh, 
the probability that it'll take longer than expected, is it greater because it's harder to foresee all the steps involved with that project? For example, is it more difficult to set um, and stick to the initial schedule because when we begin, we may not be familiar with the quality or the relevance of the input data and our delays caused because halfway through we realize we need more data or different data or we need to train the model differently or perhaps we even need to reconsider if we're using the right algorithm. Are those the types of uh, circumstances that cause delays? Is that why this type of project may be more subject to delays than others? And, um, and, is, and how common is that? For example, if, so, if you're going to, yeah. if you're if you're advising, sorry, Arakli, if if you're okay. advising a medium-sized business to do this, uh, do you tell them, well, we can put together a preliminary schedule, but there's a fifty-fifty chance that we're actually going to be able to stick to it. Most likely, it will go longer. It will take more time. It will take more money. Or is it not that common? So, um, if let's say we put together a plan, so all of the factors you you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, are you know, you know, drive the roadmap and how long um, it could take from you know the, the quality of data to the choice of algorithm uh, to cleaning the data to feature engineering and uh, eventually uh, training the model, and even after training the model, baseline modeling. So we're comparing your different models to see which one you know gives us the best um, output, and eventually um, operationalizing the model so that you know it's delivering um, value. So because of all the and again one one I mean. When a model is trained, and we're trying to assess you know, just how um, just how functional or how you know great it is, um, there's underfitting and overfitting, and then all the you know baseline uh, modeling to make sure that this um, actually uh, produces to the degree that you know is optimum. So, this because of all of these different all of these different um, all of these different um, considerations. Um, I mean, unlike a regular IT project where you know that if you build one, uh, if you build one module and plug um, to another module, I mean, you have a straightforward um, project um, timeline which cannot deviate. But models can function. Um, so you, you may test the model today, right? And it works great. And then maybe two weeks down the line, a hyperparameter may change, and then it's giving it totally um, different output. So it's it's both art and science, training, um, the training of models, right? So it, it, it takes um, a lot of dedication and a lot of, um, it's actually a delicate uh, process. So which is why you, which is why 50-50 estimation of, okay, we have an initial, we have an initial timeline, but then there's a the possibility that because of all, of, all the different, um, you know, delicate considerations, hyperparameter tuning and what have you, um, the timeline may extend. So once the decision maker understands this within the business, right, then um, whenever we hit a snag and say we have to change the algorithm, that's after the model, well, maybe when the model is about to be deployed and we say, okay, based on the baseline model, we think this is a better, um, this is a better way to actually realize you know, this business outcome. So it's important that, you know, the business um, decision maker understands this. And, you know, so when timelines extend, they're not, you know, Okay. I'm not going to pull the plug on the project. Right. And, you know, especially for smaller businesses that may have limited budget 
to actually exactly. accomplish this, having an understanding of what they're getting into when they follow uh, a preliminary roadmap and understanding some of the risks perhaps that um, are associated with this type of adoption project that it might take longer, it might cost more, I, I think will help them be better prepared for the realities of, of the project, you know, once they, they really get into it, especially if it's their first time doing it. Sure. So I think that there's a lot of wisdom there. Um, so we have a, a couple more minutes. I just want to go over the, the last parts of the strategy guide, which are to implement and test and then to monitor and optimize. So those types of steps, again, like with the roadmap, they're common for almost any type of IT project, technology adoption project, business automation development project. You always want to conclude by putting it in place, testing it, um, monitoring it to see how it performs and optimizing it as, as possible. So when it comes to adopting an AI system to help either your decision-making and or the business operations uh, to help improve how you automate your business and how you interact with customers, those steps, implement, test, monitor, and optimize, how are they different when it comes to AI-driven solutions? Are there key things that we need to look for, plan for, or do that may not be that common in the average IT project? Okay, so again, I would reference the first, um, I think I have, I've referenced this a lot, but I'll reference the contact center observation, uh, you know, project, which I, I talked about earlier. So for instance, we have um, deployed, you see three models. We have um, OpenAI's GPT 3.5. We have Hume um, AI model. We have, you know, Google text-to-speech engine functioning as a um, contact center. So implementing um, would mean that, say, we deploy this, into um, we deploy this into the field and um, testing would would mean that when you know it goes into contact with the customer, right? We um, evaluate just how, of course, uh, the testing is if it's a B two C, um, if it's a B two C, which is what you get with most, um, which is what you get with most um, small and medium scale businesses. Yeah, if it's B two C, um, we the customer is important for helping us rate the platform. Just like the um, chat GPT thing, so if if you use um, um, chat GPT, you are asked to rate the response, how good it is, right? So it's important when we're testing that the customer is very involved because, I mean, at the end of the day, we're building this to improve, you know, relationships with the um, customer, whether it's a contact center or um, maybe to help you know, professionals within the business. At the end of the day, it's about you know the customer. So, but. Still um, relating to the um, contact center automation. So we build this and, and put it out there um, in the field. The customer would rate every um, transaction, every um, you know, communication with the system, how good it is or you know, how, how, how efficient they think the system um, has been. And then um, after um, testing, whatever feedback we get from the customer or from the um, development team, right? They would assess the feedback and then use it to improve um, the system. So in this regard, it's very similar to, you know, everyday um, um, IT projects. So where it really um, differs is when you're developing or when you are uh, preparing to develop you know, with data cleaning and all of the other uh, feature engineering that you do for, for the model. 
when it comes to implementing and um, and testing so another way that it may differ is when you get feedback the feedback may now decide um you know on changes that you're going to make to uh your model right so if we say we get a feedback and we, we find that um so for this same contact center um you know possibility we find that it's, it doesn't do very well with let's say hindi or spanish um, language then we might have to alter, you know, we might have to change the model which controls that um, part of the contact center with something superior, right? And then, you know, just keep testing until we have, um, well, not a perfect platform, but something that works for all of the um, you know, customer segments that the business has um, to consider. Um, I, I guess because when you position AI um, tools or, or systems, as part of your business automation, you have the ability to enable them to act autonomously and independently. Sure. So we're using the intelligence that they collect, using how they continue, you know, their, their own evolution, how they continue to evolve and, and improve. And so when you're testing that, when you're monitoring that, when you're optimizing that, that, that sounds to me like a new type of characteristic for us to look out for that is not really part of traditional IT solutions where most of the logic and behavior is predefined. If we're putting a component of our solution out there that's going to have some level of independence in how it reacts to customers, the information it provides customers, um, how it expresses itself and so on, then I would think we'd have to monitor that, monitor that more carefully. Um, optimize it more carefully and and especially before even all of that test it more carefully to make sure it fulfills expectations and doesn't accidentally start doing or or expressing things that we don't want it to yeah sure that's um that's an important um that's an important addition yeah so i mean if it's a system where like i mentioned um it's fully autonomous right then it's important to always you know check whatever um you know whatever results or whatever interaction it's having with the customer in the real world, right? So that um, it's not saying something or doing something against our own business interests. That's very correct, yes. Okay, super. Well, I, I really enjoyed going through this. I think this is needed. I think many strategy guides and um, approaches for roadmaps are there are geared more towards larger corporations, but as all this hits the mainstream, as all this becomes more commoditized and more common, and as, as new environments are being built from the ground up with AI components naturally already part of the landscape, I think that this type of understanding is really important to, for not just the IT community, but for the business community to, to gain so that they're prepared and so that they're not outperformed by others that already have and are applying this knowledge. So. Yeah. Um, I think it's great that you put this together. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed, I enjoyed, I enjoyed working on this. So, I mean, I hope it helps as many people out there as possible. Super. So, Arakwi, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been a very insightful uh, discussion, and look forward to maybe connecting with you again in the future. All right, sure. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Follow Thomas on LinkedIn 